Welcome to the Ideas Exchange by ASX, connecting you with investment experts, market updates, and ideas. I'm Rory Cunningham, Senior Manager of Investment Products at ASX, and this is our regular podcast covering everything from investment trends through to different ways to invest using a variety of products. A quick note about this podcast. Information is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to include or constitute financial product advice. You should obtain independent advice from an Australian Financial Services licensee before making any investment decisions. Please refer to ASX's full disclaimer with respect to this podcast on the section of the ASX website titled The Ideas Exchange by ASX. Hi everyone, welcome to this month's episode of the Ideas Exchange. I'm your host, Rory Cunningham from ASX. In this episode, I have the pleasure of talking with Muzamil Daidi from Hijaz Financial Services. Muzamil is the Chief Operating Officer at Hijaz. Muzamil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Rory. Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about Islamic finance and Sharia investing. Now, for context, late last year, Hijaz Financial Services launched two of its funds, the Hijaz Equities Fund and Hijaz Properties Property Fund, as exchange-traded funds on the ASX. Now, while Islamic ETF products are widely available overseas, this was actually an Australian first with the goal of providing Muslims and other ethically conscious investors greater access to two of Hijaz's Sharia-compliant funds. According to the 2021 ABS census, there are 813,000 Australians who identify as Muslim or 3.2% of the Australian population. Of this cohort, it is estimated that approximately only 20,000 engage in Sharia investing. This potentially points to a general lack of awareness, as well as a lack of suitable investment options, rather than a lack of interest in this type of investing. Excuse the pun there, please, Muzumil. Maybe just for the benefit of our listeners today, Muzumil, do you want to start off by describing for us who is Hijaz Financial Services and, and, and what are you trying to achieve? Uh, well, thank you for that preamble, Rory. So the Hijaz Group was formed back in 2014 with a view to providing the Australian Muslim community with a diversified, comprehensive, end-to-end wealth and financial services solution. For a long time, Muslims in Australia um, have been disadvantaged because they haven't had financial products and services that align with their unique faith requirements and their values, we felt that it was high time that this was addressed. So we went about establishing, you know, a suite of different investment products, you know, becoming a non-bank lender and offering, you know, lending services as well, as well as an array of other products and services to really address the needs of this, uh, of our target market. That obviously can be challenging at times as well when you're the first to market doing things, as you mentioned earlier about the fact that we were the first to launch uh, Islamic compliant ETFs in the ASX. That in itself presents a challenge. When something hasn't been done before, you end up you know, having to work with everybody to educate and inform and build a business case around that. And also, you know, it can be a bit scary sometimes to embark on a path that hasn't been traveled before. But I think we've been blessed to have worked with some great counterparties in bringing this solution to life. Greatest achievement over here is that it's about making, you know, it's about respecting people's background and their faith and their beliefs and providing them with solutions that allow them to, you know, really uh, enhance their financial position um, without having to compromise in any way on the things that they hold dear. And in this case, it's their faith and their identity. Great. Thanks for that background. Now, you touched on it there. So the laws of Islam govern every aspect of a Muslim's life, 
including how they participate in the financial system, how they invest, and also how they earn money. Muslim, what are the Islamic principles and laws of Islam that govern how Muslims participate in the financial system, how they invest, and also how they earn money? Sure. So the one principle, I guess, that's quite well known is that Muslim people can't you know, transact with interest. They can't borrow on interest. They can't earn interest, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, you know, when, when we look at it in the context of investments, there are a number of different screens and filters that have to be applied to a person's, you know, prospective investments to ensure those investments align with Islamic principles. So for example, let's say if somebody wants to invest in equities, there are a number of different industries or sectors that are explicitly excluded from from an investable universe. So for example, banking and financial services is, is excluded, tobacco, alcohol, gambling, military, adult entertainment. Essentially, those sectors and those activities which are considered to be socially injurious, socially harmful, they're excluded from the portfolio first and foremost. And then we go on to apply a number of quantitative factors which contemplate things like the debt ratio of a company, the extent to which it earns income from tainted sources. And there are various thresholds and benchmarks around that need to be met to ensure sure that the companies that are being included in the portfolio for a Muslim client align with Islamic pillars and and Islamic principles. Okay. And before we get into your investment process, can you describe for us more broadly, I suppose, the the challenges that that Muslims face in, in trying to invest for their financial future, given the current lack of service providers in this space in Australia? Well, as I said, if if we wind the clock back, let's say 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, the concept of Islamically compliant superannuation really didn't exist in Australia. Every Muslim was in a conventional fund. They knew that their monies were being invested into assets that weren't aligning with their beliefs, but they really had no alternative. I think fast forward 10, 12, 15 years now, we now have investment options available to them for their superannuation, for their cash investments. Similarly, for their lending, there are now you know a diverse array of solutions available in the market as well. So I think we're now seeing that participation and engagement with Islamic products and services increasing. Is it where it should be? Not really, because as I said, it's still relatively new. People are now coming to terms with the fact that there are products and services available in the market that are presented in line with the conventional offering. So they're priced in a competitive manner. They're available and being distributed um, like any other financial product, for example, ETFs on the ASX, which have been available for such a long time. But for a Muslim person, they haven't been able to engage with those products because the products weren't designed to meet their requirements. Now they can. So we're starting to see that shift occur. And I think in the years to come, that will only improve. So the next generation of investors coming through, the younger generation coming through, will, I think, see a better day, I guess, when it comes to products and services services, financial products and services that are in alignment with their beliefs. And I think that will enable them to be a lot more innovative, a lot more, maybe even more risk-taking, I guess, more adventurous when it comes to their finances and really set themselves up well. And these opportunities weren't available, for example, to their parents who simply did not have any instruments to use or any financial products to utilize to build and uh, enhance their wealth. As you mentioned, the two of the financial products that you offer are ETFs that are available on the ASX, and they are both Sharia compliant funds. And you started talking earlier about how in order to be Sharia compliant, there's a particular screening process that's applied. So can you talk us through that Sharia ethical screening process as they work for your current funds? 
so the, the screening process that we apply in a way is similar to what an ESG or SRI manager would apply, except that the filters or screens and the principles that we have are very are quite binary. It's a black and white proposition. We, we tend to find that, for example, when it comes to ethical investing, for, for argument's sake, uh, there are various shades of ethical investing. You know, some ethical managers might exclude one or two industries or one or two sectors. Some do more, some do less. And they're all broadly considered to be ethical. Depends on the eye of the beholder, really. Um, whereas when it comes to Islamic investments, it's very clearly stipulated as to what those requirements are. So for example, when we're applying our Islamic filters, of which there are four, essentially. So the first is what we call a business activity screen. So when we apply the business activity screen, we are explicitly excluding investments that are considered to be socially injurious and Islamically impermissible. Things like investing into, you know, conventional financial services, alcohol, tobacco, gambling, pig products, military, adult entertainment, these sorts of sectors, which are Islamically impermissible and socially injurious, excluded from the portfolio. And if a company, for example, were to pass that first degree of first level of screening, it then goes on to have a number of other filters applied. So for example, we look at the debt to equity ratio of a company to ensure that it's below a certain threshold. We look at the income generating sources of that company itself to see, okay, what are those sources? And if there are any tainted sources, for example, let's say the company earns you know, certain revenue from uh, interest-bearing investments, does that exceed a particular threshold? And if it does, then that's outside our tolerance level. And therefore, that company would be removed from the screening process. So we, apl- we, we start with a pretty broad universe. And as we apply those filters, that gets more and more narrow until we end up with Roughly around about probably five or five to seven thousand, you know, listed uh, investments globally, and then we apply our fundamental and technical filters across those things. Like we're looking at PE ratio, peg ratios, dividend yields, management of of, the, of that company, financial forecasts, all the different metrics that uh, your regular investment manager would apply, and then we apply you know some technical factors across those as well to determine entry and exit points for those investments, and then we go on to implement our portfolio. So at any given time, we would probably have you know 60 to 80 holdings within our um, portfolio. But it's important also to keep in mind that the Sharia or Islamic filtering process that we apply is not really a set and forget proposition. So let's say, for example, if we apply the filters today and we identify a pool of investable assets that, we can, that we've identified and we'll, from them, we'll select the investments that we choose for our portfolio, it's every week, every few days, we apply those screening again on the investments that we hold in our portfolio to ensure that do they continue to be aligned with our Islamic screening principles? Because as you can imagine, these companies are, you know, living, breathing organisms. There are boards making decisions every day about the debt position of the company, the investments that it undertakes, the activities that it undertakes. So at any given time, it is very, very possible, and it happens quite often, that a company that is compliant today may become non-compliant next month, and therefore we have to exit those holdings. So it is a very active involved process and that's something that sometimes people don't truly appreciate how involved this really is it's not as if i can do it once and forget about it for six months no i must apply my filters and my screening again and again to ensure that i maintain compliance
Understood. So if, if I was to summarize the, the process at a high level, I think there's around about 30,000 companies that are listed on stock exchanges across the world. The first step there is you apply, apply the Sharia ethical screen that whittles the number of permissible stocks in your universe from that 30,000 down to, let's call it around about five to 7,000. And then from there, you undertake what's called bottom-up fundamental analysis in order to choose the 60 to 70 stocks that make it into your portfolio. And then on an ongoing basis, you're continually reviewing that to ensure that those stocks and other stocks continue to meet the criteria. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in addition to that, we also have an external Sharia compliance body as well. So they audit us every six months to ensure that we are true to label. One is, you know, for us to go out to the market and say, okay, well, we apply these filters and we apply these processes, but we need an external authority to come in and actually audit that to check and confirm that, okay, well, let's pick up the portfolio at any given time and see what are the, what are the underlying holdings and what process were undertaken in the selection of those investments and what is your broader process overall. So that, that provides our members and our clients with that added level of comfort and assurance that we are actually doing what we say we would be doing. Now, as you mentioned, you may have up to 70 stocks that are inside of your portfolio, and I'm sure you love all of your children equally, but is there one stock in particular that you can talk about that exhibits the characteristics that you've discussed already uh, and you're excited about its future? Absolutely. I think there are a number of, you know, really interesting stories that we're tracking at the moment in our portfolio. But I think one that really stands out is BYD, I think the world's largest uh, manufacturer of EV, electronic vehicles, uh, electric vehicles. So um, I think the EV sector overall is booming. I think there's a lot of growth and a lot of potential in that space. And that's an, that's an area that we've identified. In terms of, you know, a, a really interesting technology play coupled with the automotive industry as well, um, we're seeing a lot of larger big name car manufacturers moving into that space. But BYD, uh, I think, really own, own that space and are, um, are manufacturing their vehicles and exporting them around the world. So I think that's doing really well for us in our portfolio. So we continue to track that pretty closely. And I think another one that stands out is probably Microsoft and this new world of AI and ChatGPT and all that. Really, the sky's the limit in terms of where AI and, and, and all these things will go. So we're tracking that very, very closely as well and um, have an interest in Microsoft. But I dare say many managers around the country probably have an interest in Microsoft right now anyway. So um, I think these sorts of sectors, uh, obviously, they meet the Islamic principles um, in terms of their business activity at the moment. They're tracking well in terms of their debt to equity ratios and their tainted income and all of those sorts of things as well. And even fundamentally, as as companies overall, we hold them in pretty good stead as well. So I think they're, they're two stories at the moment that really stand out to us. Right. Thank you for sharing those. Now, when we talk to investors, we, we always educate that it's really important for them to understand both the benefits of a particular investment idea and also the risks. So when it comes to a Sharia-compliant investing from your perspective, what do you see as the benefits to investors and, and also the risks? Well, I, I think the benefits are quite self-evident because I, I think more and more consumers around Australia um, and around the world really are starting to make investments or making they make their choices. It may not even be financial, but broadly speaking, we're starting to see more and more inclination towards participating in activities that are socially beneficial. For example, people will boycott clothing from a particular brand that engages in poor uh, employment practices or modern slavery, products and services that are sourced without any consideration for the environment and are being boycotted as well. Albeit, the alternative may be a bit more pricey, the alternative may be harder to acquire, but 
as a society overall, we're becoming far more concerned about our consumerism and what impact we're having on the world and on society around us. So when it comes to the investment philosophy that we adopt and the the overlay that we have in our portfolio, which we've just outlined, I think a lot of investors, Muslim and non-Muslim, we, we tend to find that about four or 5% of our client base are non-Muslim clients who simply come to us because they say, well, you have a very, very clear outline of what your definition of ethical and uh, socially responsible um, looks like. And that is something that we can align with. You're not in any sort of gray area over here. You're very, very clear about it. You apply that. We can see that translated through your disclosure documents. We can see that translated through your investment practices. And that's something that we align with. So that's really the upside where people can make investments that align with their values, with their ethos. And if they are from a faith background, it aligns with their faith as well. So that's definitely the upside. The downside of the risk of it, as I said, we, we do end up selecting investments for from a far narrower universe than a manager who doesn't apply these overlays. And also, it's important to note that an Islamic investment manager or Sharia compliant investment manager cannot utilize conventional derivatives and instruments like that, speculative instruments like that, because they are in breach of Islamic principles. So things like, you know, your CFDs, options, all these sorts of things, short selling, you know, an Islamic investment manager can't utilize those. So that, again, uh, it's one more tool that would otherwise be in the toolkit that we don't have at our disposal. That makes it a little bit more challenging as well. But with that being said, a a lot of uh, investors don't tend to see that as being a big downside. They find that some people fundamentally don't even align with the notion of short selling or shorting the market. So our investment process and mandate is quite simple and straightforward, and a lot of investors see a lot of value in that. And in terms of performance, we tend to find that this overlay um, during periods of market downturns, our Sharia compliant portfolios uh, perform quite well relative to market average because we're fundamentally investing into companies that have lower debt, that aren't that speculative, that are in industries that are quite sound and robust. So they tend to perform quite well. Um, And during periods where the markets are going up and you have bull runs, we might underperform slightly because we're not, again, investing into the highly speculative, you know, real small micro caps which, which might have a lot of debt and therefore are excluded from our investment screening processes. So there are pros and cons to it, but we tend to find that overall, the pros do outweigh the cons. Muzumil, interested in any closing comments and, and in particular around education. In prepping for this, I obviously visited your website and there's a lot of education material that, that you have there. And no doubt as you're building out this segment of investing, there'll be a lot of investors, uh, Muslim and non-Muslim alike, that, that you need to educate about your particular processes and, and investment philosophies. So closing comments about your views of this style of investing, but also where investors should go to get more information and education. Yeah, um, look, I I think we've really sort of taken, you know, some significant steps towards improving investor education over the last few years. And and also in forums like this, right, today's podcast, I think it goes a long way in familiarizing not only the Muslim community, but the broader Australian populace about what Islamic investing is, there is a place for it in the broader Australian financial services sector, and there are opportunities over here. So our website has plenty of details um, about the way we go about selecting our investments and how we how we operate. But there are plenty of other resources out there. I think we've made a number of different publications and different you know different forums. I think the ASX have, have been tremendously helpful to us in really sharing that message 
and really demystifying or debunking a lot of the you know misunderstandings that may exist about the Islamic method of investing and that in essence ultimately all it really is is that it's an ultra ethical form of investing and one that has very clear mandate and very clear parameters and one that uh, you know a lot of people muslim and non-muslim alike uh, would find to be of interest to them Thank you for joining us today, Muzamil, and, and also thank you to our listeners for joining us. And we look forward to welcoming you next month on the Ideas Exchange podcast. Excellent. Thanks, Rory. Are you keen to learn more? Why not visit the ASX blog, asx.com.au slash blog, for a wide range of articles, videos and insights from ASX experts, listed companies and investment professionals.